Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. The message is entitled, Even I. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. Now, I hope you know that in chapters 15 and 16, Christ launches into a set of parables. It's not just one parable or two or three, it's five. How many? Five parables. You might know them. The first one is the lost sheep. You ever heard of that uh, parable before, the lost sheep? Okay. Then he launches into the lost coin. Sound familiar? The prodigal son comes number three, or the lost son. And then he launches into a parable we call the unjust or dishonest steward. And then everybody's favorite, the rich man in Lazarus. But scholars are in agreement, and I agree, that the first three, the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son, are pretty easy to understand. I mean, they're not very complicated at all. I mean, you can read that parab- those parables and come to the conclusion pretty easily. But many are in agreement that the next two, the unjust steward and the rich man in Lazarus, are more, quote-unquote, difficult to understand, or they lead themselves to misunderstanding. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, the rich man in Lazarus parable can be pretty daunting to grasp what Christ is saying. I think you would agree that many people today have a complete misunderstanding of the rich man in Lazarus parable. Now, the unjust steward parable is just as sort of quote-unquote difficult or can lead to misunderstanding. Why? Because in verse 8 of chapter 16, we almost see there that Christ is sort of commending a man for being unjust. Let's take a look at that in Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 8. It almost seems that Christ is commending a man for being unjust or dishonest. Take a look. Verse 8 of chapter 16. So the master, what's the next word? Yeah, the master commended who? Yeah, the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And again, it almost leads us to understand that Christ here in his parable is commending a man for being unjust. How do you deal with this? Well, here's the good news. Next week, we're going to study this parable. But today, when? Today, we're going to get the context of why Jesus would feel compelled to launch into these set of parables. And we're going to see that this message today is highly, highly relevant for us. You guys ready? You sitting down? Here we go. Now, the question we have to begin with is this, and it's this, why? Why would Jesus go into these parables? Again, it's not one, two, or three. It's how many parables? Five. Okay, how many? Five. Now, what is a parable? A parable is an allegory or a story, a story that helps us understand a deeper spiritual truth. Okay, I'm going to say it again. A parable is an allegory or story that helps us understand a deeper spiritual what? 
truth, heavenly principles that God needs to help us understand through practical ways and sayings. Are you with me, okay? So, as we begin to look that there were three groups in the audience there for Jesus to begin to speak to and preach to, and these three groups that were there compelled Christ to launch into these five parables. So, how many groups are we going to see? Three groups. Let's take a look at the first group that was there that was listening to Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Here's the first group. Our question is, is why would Jesus launch into these parables? Not one, two, or three, or four, but five of them. And we're going to see that there were three groups there. And in chapter 15, verse 1, we see the first group. Here we go. Then all the tax collectors and the who? And the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Who's him here in the context? It's Jesus, okay? So here we have our first group. The quote-unquote sinners slash tax collectors or the multitude, okay? These were sort of the outcasts of the times of Jesus. The tax collectors were seen as sinners. We had the outcasts and those there that were looked down upon. First group, are you with me? Okay? In contrast, we see now the second group. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says, and the who? And who else? Yeah, the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay? There's our second group. Who was the first group? Yeah, the quote-unquote sinners, multitude, outcasts. Okay? Who's the second group? The Pharisees and scribes, who were they? Yeah, they were the re religious leaders of those days, sort of the scholars and teachers of the law. Are you with me, okay? These were the men that felt like uh, they were a little higher up than everybody else. Are you with me? There's our second group, Pharisees slash scribes. And now, who was the third group that was also there? Go to chapter 16, verse 1. Take a look. We have now our third group in chapter 16, verse 1. And what is the first six words in that verse? Who's there? He also said to his disciples. Okay? How many groups? Three groups. Who's the first group? Sinners, multitude, outcasts. Who's the second group? Yeah, Pharisees, scribes, and the religious leaders of that day. And then the third group in the audience was who? The disciples. Okay? Now, what we're going to see, look at the screen, is that as Christ looks at the audience and he sees the first group, the sinners and outcasts that were looked down upon, he then sees the second group, the Pharisees and scribes, and then he sees the third group, the disciples are there. And what we're going to see here, friends, is that the first three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal was directed specifically at the quote-unquote sinners or multitudes. He then turns his attention to the disciples and directs his attention to them in the fourth parable. But he knows that everybody else is listening in. Are you understanding? I'm going to say it again. The first three parables, sheep, coin, and lost son, he directs specifically at the multitude. We'll see that in a second. And he knows that others are listening in, the disciples and the Pharisees. We come to parable four. 
He then turns his attention to disciples and lets them in on that parable, but he knows the others are listening in as well. Are you with me? And then in the fifth parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we're going to see he then turns his attention to the Pharisees and Sadducees and directs that uh, parable to them, though he knows the others are listening in. Give me a thumbs up if this is making sense. So, the first three parables, sheep, coin, and prodigal, he directs it to the multitude, though the others are listening. The fourth parable, the unjust or dishonest steward, he directs it to the disciples. We just saw in chapter 16, verse 1, he also said to his disciples, and then he launches into that parable. And then the fifth parable, the rich man and Lazarus, he directs it to the Pharisees and scribes to go against their mindset, though the others are listening. Take a look at chapter 16 and look at verse 14. I'm showing you that these parables were directed specifically to the groups that were there, though he knew the others were listening. Look at chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of what? Yeah, lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. So were the Pharisees listening in to all this, yes or no? He was, but then it says that he knew that the Pharisees were lovers of what? Of money. Are you with me? Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the sight of God. Now, again, what did they love? And now look at verse 19. He then starts a parable this way, there was a certain rich man. <laughs> okay? So we begin to see again that the first three parables are directed to the multitude and outcasts, though he knows the others are listening. The fourth parable he directs to the disciples. That's what we're going to study next week. And then the fifth parable, he directs it to who? That's right, the, rich, uh, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now listen. We now have to begin to understand the kind of world these people were living in in the times of Jesus. You see, in the time of Jesus, were the multitude and sinners looked down upon, yes or no? Okay, okay. How did the Pharisees and Sadducees look upon these people that were not of their stock? Hmm? They were looked down like nothing, right? Like they were nothing. The Pharisees and Sadducees made it appear, listen carefully, that if you were not, if you were not of the lineage of Abraham and, and, and the blood there, the bloodline of Abraham, if you were not rich and therefore healthy, you were looked down upon by God and you were not blessed by God. But if you were the lineage of Abraham, if you were healthy and rich, you were looked favored upon and it would be like God was showing his blessings on you and that salvation was a shoe in for you. But if you were on the other, if you are of the others, you were, salvation was not open to you, and therefore, people were completely hopeless, discouraged, and looked down upon. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he began to attract a lot of people. Why? Because Christ would begin to say things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Christ begins to do is he begins to open up the gates of salvation for everybody. 
He begins to open up the gates of salvation for everybody. For who? For everybody. You see, the Pharisees would teach and live this way, that God was sort of an exclusive God, that salvation was only for the, those in our circle, but Christ comes to let them know that God is not a God of exclusiveness, but an all-inclusive God, that all are welcome, that this isn't a country club. Can you say amen? This is not a country club. All are welcome. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Luke chapter 18. Let's begin to understand the mindset of the people that will help us appreciate the words of Jesus in these parables. Go to Luke chapter 18. Let's dig deeper into the mindset of the times and how these people were looked down upon, that they felt like they were not as good as others. We're in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Say amen if you're there. The Bible says, also he spoke the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Who were those who thought they were better than everybody else and despised others? That's right. We're better than you, and you're less than us. That was the mindset. Then he says, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what? exalted. You see how this was the prevalent teaching of the day. Understand the context that day after day, year after year, these people felt like they were not worthy of salvation. They felt like they were looked down upon by God, that God disfavored them and loved others more, that this group here was better than they were. This is the the context that they lived with every day. Are you with me? Now we're in chapter 18. Look at verse 24. Look at this. This is after the rich young ruler, and don't miss it, that here comes a young, healthy, rich young ruler of the, of the a stock of Abraham, and in the mindset of the people, this man was a shoe-in for eternity. And the Bible says that he comes to Jesus as Lord, how do I inherit salvation? And Christ says, keep my commandments. And the man says, well, I've done this through my youth. And Christ says, really, um, why don't you go ahead and sell all that you have and give to the poor and do what? Follow me. And the Bible says that the man did what? He left very sorrowfully because he was very rich. Are you with me? Now we're in verse 24. Verse 24 says, And then Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful. And Jesus said, How hard is it for those who, are, who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And thus, those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Look at the mindset. They're like, wait a minute. Here is a rich 
young, healthy Jew, and he might not enter eternity? I mean, Lord, how is it even hope for us? You see, they believe this was the mindset that he was better and we're not better. But here's the thing, that if you're rich, hallelujah. One person said amen for the rich. God needs people with money, amen. Nothing wrong with being rich. The problem isn't the money. The problem is the heart of those who have the money, right? But here's the thing. If you don't have money and you're poor, does not mean that God favors you any less. Because you know what? God shows his favor on the poor and he shows his favor on the rich. Because here's the thing. Even Satan can make you rich. Do you know that? Just because you have money does not mean that you're ultimately favored by God. Even the Satan can make you filthy rich. What Christ is doing is saying is this, that God is not a God who looks favorably on some more than others. Are you with me so far? The ideal of that time was, again, that God was an exclusive God. But here comes a Christ and says, God is not a God of exclusion, but all-inclusive. One more here. John chapter 9. Take a look. John chapter 9, quickly. John chapter 9. I'm just showing you the, the, the pulse of the society of Christ. And why Christ was so loved, at least at first, and people flocked to him. We're in chapter 9 of John. Say amen if you're there. The Bible then says in John chapter 9, now Jesus passed by and saw a man who was what? Who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, oh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What are they, what are they, what are they saying here that why has God looked down on them because of their sin, and this man is born blind because God has therefore judged them or therefore disfavored them? And look what we're going to see, that Christ completely uh, does not agree with this at all. He keeps going. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back what? That's right. Jesus completely rejects this concept that God has cursed them because of their sin and their son. He says, no, 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 let me tell you something. We live in a sinful world, and guess what? Things happen, amen. There are people who are born lame and blind and everything else. Does not mean that God has cursed them or looked down on them. This is a sinful world. Things happen. But look what God does. He goes back to creation in a sense, and he makes clay um, there of, 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 of the ground with his saliva and restores this man's sight, saying, uh, let me tell you something. I'm here to restore. I'm here to bring people back to God. Understanding the context here of the constant pounding 
that people hear from these people, you're no good, I'm better than you, you're nothing, God has accursed you, and here comes Jesus and he says things like this, for God so loved the world, amen, that whoever believes in him, that's everybody, whoever may have not death but everlasting life. And the people begin to hear this and say, oh, look, maybe God can even love me. And they swarm to Jesus. Christ would say things like this, if I be lifted up, I will draw what? All men. This teaching that God is exclusive and it's a country club, Christ says, no way. God is all-inclusive. All are welcome. Amen. Christ would say things like this, that the one who comes to me, I will by no means what? Cast out. Christ opens the gates of salvation. Listen carefully. He opens the gates of salvation to the prostitute, to the murderer, to the adulterer, to anybody. He says, it's open for you if you come to the foot of Jesus and repent and confess. Salvation is available to you. Amen. All are welcome. All are welcome. Doesn't matter what you look like, what you've done, or who you are, or where you're from, if you come to the foot of Jesus with a heart of repentance and confession, salvation is for you. It's for everybody. But now I want to give a parenthetical statement. Though we are to love, care for, encourage, and help others, does not mean that we have to lower God's standards or principles. Jesus was the most loving, caring, and uh, accepting person on earth but he never lowered God's standards. He kept them nice and high because he told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He told the man who he healed in the paralytic there in Bethesda, go and do what? Sin no more. You see, listen very carefully and listen good. Why can't we be understanding, loving, caring, merciful, accepting, and not judgmental but not lower the standards of God. Can you say amen? Yes, we can do this because Jesus was this way. Listen, we, we, we don't bring God's standards down to, to us. We bring people up to Him. Amen? We don't lower things down. We lead people. We accept them and love them and care for them. And as we're doing this, we're leading them up, up to the standard God has for all of us. Hallelujah. Look at this here, Review and Herald. She says, if you think that by letting the standard down you can convert sinners, you are most deluded. Because here's the saying that you need to understand. God accepts us the way that we are, but he loves us enough not to keep us the way that we are. I'm gonna say that again. 
if you think that by loving and accepting and, not, and, and being non-judgmental, which we have to be, means that we have to lower God's standards, that's wrong. We accept them, love them, care for them, non, not, no need to judge anybody, we're all in the same boat, we're all sinners, can you say amen? But here's the thing, as we're getting close to Jesus, we begin to rise up and we lead each other up to the standard God has for us, amen, because God lo- accepts us the way that we are, but he loves us enough not to keep us the way that we are. She continues, Christ was in the world yet was not of the world. He kept the standards what? Who kept the standards exalted? Who was the most loving person on earth? Christ. Christ. And that is how every minister, every who? Every Christian. And every man that feels any responsibility in the cause of God is to show whether he is connected with God. All represent heaven. And it hurts me. Why why are Seventh-day Adventists, why do we have a, um, why do we have a, um, a, uh, a, um, a reputation of being people who are judgmental? Why? We should be more like Jesus than anybody else. We should be a people that cares like anybody else. We should be a people who loves like anybody else. A people who accepts them, say, come, come, you're welcome here. Doesn't matter what you're wearing or what you look like, you're you're welcome here. Come, come, come. And as we love them, have compassion on them, care for them, not judge them, amen, but accept them, we begin to lead them closer and closer to Jesus, up, up, up. Are you with me? We don't bring God down, we lead people up. Are you with me, friends? So here we go, as we begin to round it up here. Look at the theme that God begins to show us. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15, take a look here. Now that we have the context here of why Christ would begin to launch into these parables, Who was the first group? Multitude outcasts. Who was the second group? Disciples. Who was the third group? All right. Here is the theme that God wanted his people to begin to understand. He wanted them to understand that he's come to lead them back home. You see, in the lost sheep parable, the shepherd goes, finds the, the lost sheep, and he leads him back to the fold and to the shepherd. The lost coin, guess what? He leads them back to uh, the, uh, the owner. Are you with me? Yep. Okay. And then the prodigal son, where does he go? He goes back home. Now take a look. The lost sheep knew that it was lost, but he didn't see the rest of the flock around him, but did not know how to get back, okay? And there are people like that here today, or in our, in wherever there might be, people today, 
uh, today fall into this group. They know something is not right, but they have no direction. They, have no, they don't know where to go, and God will use someone to give them a book or witness to them. Can you say amen? You find these people all over, these people that know that something's not right. They know that something is not right, and they feel like, well, Lord, I know something's not right, and I know that I'm missing something. I know that I have to get close to Jesus, but I'm lost. I don't know where to go. I can't find my way where I need to be, and Christ will use you or me to help these people and lead them to where they need to go. Can you say amen? Either through a pamphlet or a book or just talking to them. These are a lost sheep. They're out there. There's a lost coin. Now, the lost coin didn't know it was lost. Coins don't think. It's a parable. Can you say amen? Okay. <laughs> now, look. <clears throat> Therefore, it didn't know it was lost and didn't know what? Where to go. These people don't know the concept of sin and judgment. You might, I have a family member like this. They, they, they sort of like, well, well, I'm a good person, and I'm a good person, and I don't do anything wrong. And, but they don't feel that conviction of really giving their life to Jesus. They don't feel that conviction of really surrendering to the truth. But they're good people, and you know, they live their life, and they're, they're the lost coin. They don't really know they're lost and don't know how to find their way back. They just have no concept of sin and judgment. They think that they are right. They don't know, do anything, quote-unquote, wrong. I'm a good person uh, and therefore are in need of a Savior. They need to understand the concept of sin and the wages of sin is eternal death and therefore the good, good news of Christ, God's mercy, goodness, and saving grace. Can you say amen? They don't understand the concept that sin is sin and sin is offensive to God. Can you say amen? And the wages of sin is death no matter how small the quote-unquote sin is, but here's the good news. We have a Savior. We have a Savior that's there to save us. Are you with me? Lost coin. See those all over the place. Oh, I'm a good person, but yet have no desire to really surrender to Jesus. And then the last one, the lost son, particle son, knew that he was lost and knew how to find his way home. These are people who are raised in the church and backslide, but know the way what? The way back. So here we go. Here's the theme. Christ is trying to lead all back home. That's his theme here to the multitude. That Christ is trying to lead all back where? Back home. Look at this. The sheep back to the other flock and shepherd. We know that we are the lost sheep. Christ came for just one of us. But it also applies to bringing the one lost world back to the fold or unfallen worlds. The lost sheep, here it is. I'm going to bring my sheep back home. Hallelujah. Look at this. Lost coin. To back to its original owner. Christ is bringing us back to him. Amen. You see, sin, we have, we, have, we have left. We have left the Father's house. We have left his kingdom. But Christ says, you know what? I'm here to tell you that I've come to help you and, and bring you back home. I'm here to bring you home. I'm here to bring you home. You've left. I'm here to bring you home. But Lord, I don't know. Is salvation for me? He says, it is for you through me. Hallelujah. And the son back to the father's house, bringing us back to where? The father's kingdom. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 13, 11. Go there quickly. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the theme we find here is that God is trying to let those people in us know that he has come to bring us back home. I don't know if you know, but this world is not my home. I'll take that one, amen. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. You need to understand that this world is not our home. Hallelujah. Hebrews 11, if you're in verse 13, say amen. And it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Amen. And look at verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They understood that this is not my home. You might be comfortable here. Hey, whatever. But I'm not comfortable here at all. I'm not comfortable when there's injustices in the world. I'm not comfortable when people are looked down upon. I'm uncomfortable of sin and death and pain and suffering. I'm not comfortable. Christ says, I've come to take you home. What did Jesus say? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. There's nothing wrong with marrying because I'm married. Come on, man. Say amen somewhere. All right. Come on now. Don't. <clears throat> nothing wrong with marriage. Nothing wrong with eating. I ate this morning, nothing wrong with drinking soy milk and all those type of things either. But listen, the issue was that their mindset, they were just too comfortable in the world. They were just going about the ordinary business. But I don't want to be comfortable here. Anybody else? I want to go home. I want to go home. And because of Jesus, home is possible. Not to just an exclusive group, but to everybody. And that's why people love to be around Jesus. Let me finish this up. You see, this is what the Bible is teaching us. In Genesis 1, 2, God literally with his prized creation tree of life, no separation. We come to the last two chapters of the Bible. God literally with his prized creation, tree of life, no separation. Amen. The rest of the Bible is a summary of the first three parables. Now look at this quote, this here. The gospel is not about what we give up, but what God has given up to find you. That's the gospel. Oh, I've given up all this, Lord, to follow you. You've given up what? Anything that you've given up, I'm sure it's because it wasn't the best for you and God wants that out of your life. Amen. But the gospel is about what God has given up to find us. But what God has given up to find you, you are his trophy. Do you know that? You're his trophy. You're his trophy. You're his trophy. Every one of you is the apple in his eye. He has found you at a place called Calvary on a cross.
In Desire of Ages, look what she says, the Lord is disappointed. Who's disappointed? The Lord is disappointed when His people place a low estimate upon themselves. Wow. Oh, Lord, I'm nothing. Oh, Lord, I deserve nothing. I'm quite, God, that, that hurts God. Because to, to Him, you're everything He has. That hurts God when we begin to place a low estimate on ourselves. You're greatly valued by God. You're special to God. Amen? Continues. The Lord is disappointed when he has people, has a low estimate upon themselves. He desires his chosen heritage to value themselves according to the price he has placed upon them. Amen. And what's the price he's paid for you? Everything. God values you. You're special to God. Don't ever walk around like, oh, you know, I'm just not as good as some. No, 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 no. God has given everything for you. You're special. You're beautiful. You're everything to him. Hold yourself up as a child of God. God wanted them. Who's them? His people. Else he would not have sent his son in such an expensive errand to redeem them. He has a use for them, and he is well pleased when they make the very highest demands upon him that they may glorify his name. They may expect large things if they have faith in his promises. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, injustices in the world over race and color or anything else is from the devil. But God's people will be different. They will value each other the way that God values everyone. And they will be loving, accepting, caring, non-judgmental, and accepting. But yet, instead of lowering the standard down, they lift people up to the standard God has for us. That was Jesus. I'm so thankful that I serve this kind of a God. Anybody else? The Bible says who desires, who wishes. That's what the Greek word means there. Who wishes, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the what? Of the truth. You see, I want to let you know, look, I've, I'm closing my Bible, I'm ending. I want to let you know that God forbid that you've given up on yourself, God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you at all. My friends, I think it's time for His people begin to rise up. I think it's time for his people to begin to show the world who Jesus is. I think it's time for God's people, the church family, to begin to rot a, a work in this, in this town. Is Pensacola a town or a city? 
whatever, town, city, doesn't matter. I want to let you know that I care for each and every one of you, and I love you. But here's the thing. God loves you more. And as Christ saw the people, the outcasts and multitudes who were looked down upon, he gives them these three beautiful parables that brought hope to the hopeless, that brought encouragement to those who were discouraged, that salvation was even open to you through me. And the people's hearts begin to fill with joy and excitement to say, yes, no matter even my circumstance, God is not accursing me. God is not looking down on me. God is trying to lead me home. First three parables. Can you say amen? And then the next parable, just to let the cat out of the bag a little bit here as we close, the unjust steward given to his disciples was actually a little rebuke. Nothing wrong with rebukes, amen? Sometimes we need to be rebuked a little bit in a loving way. And so if you're begging, to, if you're longing to be rebuked, you'll be here next week because <laughs> we're going to study that parable. <laughs> but be here. It's a great object lesson for all of us. Amen? And then the fifth parable, the rich man and Lazarus, he takes it now to the Pharisees and Sadducees who were lovers of money, and proud, and he sort of rebukes them through the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Are you with me so far? Now you know the, the context of what Christ was facing here. But God is not a God of exclusion, but a God all-inclusive. All are welcome. All are welcome. Do you think there are people out here in this, wherever we are, need to know that God needs that and loves them and no matter what's happening in their life, it's not because God loves them any less, it's be, but, but God wants them to come home. Are there people out there? Are there people out there? Well, God wants to use us. I don't care what's happened in the past. Don't get offended by that. The work God has for us is the here and now. Let's move forward. Now is the time. And you know what I love about this church? We have a great mixture here. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. God bless the Pensacola University Parkway, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Are we not a family? Did this make sense today? Does this make sense today? Who here today will say, Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in me. Anybody here? Anybody? Hallelujah. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. 
You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.